Good morning, Bayshore. Good morning. I'm so glad to see everyone. <laughs> I have a fan club back there. Oh my gosh. Jody's fan club. Oh Lord. <laughs> You guys are too fun. I got my friends over here and I got my family over here, so I'm truly blessed this morning. I'm Jody Monroe, I'm the Next Steps Director here. And uh, I just, on behalf of Bayshore Community Church, I want to welcome each and every one of you, especially if this is the first time you're with us. We are thrilled you are our VIPs. Let's clap for our first time guests and our second time guests. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pastor Danny uh, and Karen have taken a well-deserved week of rest, and Pastor Danny asked if I might give a message this Sunday, and I told him, Pastor, I am always honored when you ask me. I'm always surprised that you ask me, but I'm always honored. So I'm excited about the word I think God has given to me, laid on my heart to share it with my Bayshore family today. Um, I'm giving the third message of Pastor Danny's sermon series entitled Blink. Blink, life is short. And I've expanded that a little bit for my message. The title of my message is Blink is life is short, so grace must win. Life is short, so grace must win. And it is my goal to, uh, to uh, explain to you, hopefully you will see, like I feel like God laid on my heart that these two concepts are very much intertwined. They go hand in hand. They are really connected. They, uh, they need each other. Life is short, so grace must win. The first passage I want to uh, dive into is found in Luke 12. I want us to look at Luke 12. Now this is a very common uh, story. You have all heard it and read it. Luke 12, I'm going to read a couple verses, 16 through 21. Normally, when this uh, message is preached, these verses are preached, it's talking about covetousness. But I want you to listen carefully. I want you to get an underlying message. There's a message between the lines here. Listen carefully, see if you can hear that uh, bit of a subliminal message. Luke 12. And, and I just want to start, Luke 12, 1, I love this. I got to talk about this. It's Jesus and his disciples. Luke 12, 1 says, Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of the multitude had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, <laughs> he began saying to his disciples, I love that. There were thousands of people gathered to hear Jesus. So many, they were stepping on each other. So he, Jesus goes on in Luke um, 12, 16, listen. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And the man said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said in verse 20, God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself 
and not rich toward God. What are you getting underneath that? Are you hearing a, a message between the lines? Life can change. Life can end in the blink of an eye. Life can change very unexpectedly in the blink of an eye, um, as we saw with this man, and the Lord called him a fool. Don't blink. You know, you think life can change in a blink of an eye, so, so don't blink. Now, I got thinking about that. Don't blink. I have heard that from, I think it's from some famous theologian. Don't blink. Then I got thinking, wait a minute. That's not a famous theologian. That's a Kenny Chesney song. Do I have any, do I have any country music fans in the house? Come on. Any country music fans in the house? Pastor Danny is away, so I'm going to play up here a little bit. Don't tell him we're doing this. But I want you to sit back for a few minutes and enjoy and, and uh, get the message from Kenny Chesney's music video, Don't Blink. And if you can, if you want to, if you're sitting next to a family member, spouse, child, if you want to, hold their hand while you watch this video. Thank you. Don't blink, Katie Chesney.
Thank you, thank you. Did anybody enjoy that? Is that good? I, I love that. Maybe I made a new country music fan. Hey. <laughs> um, life is short, so grace must win. Would you say that with me? One, two, three. Life is short, so grace must win. Life is short. Don't blink. It goes by fast. I want to talk a little bit about grace. Actually, I want to talk a lot about grace. That's my, the main focus of my message today. Grace. What is grace? I'm going to talk about three things about grace. A theological description, a practical day-to-day -day definition of grace, and then I hope I can give a couple personal examples. But a theological description. I came across an interesting article, and it's uh, written by theologians, and they have some some quotes here, what they think, what theologians, learned people, people way above my pay grade, what they have to say about grace. Listen, grace is the opposite of karma, which is all about getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. The very center and core of the whole Bible is the doctrine of grace. Grace is the most important concept in the Bible and Christianity. It is most clearly expressed in the promises of God revealed in scripture and embodied in Jesus. Grace is the love of God shown to the unlovely, the peace of God given to the restless, the unmerited or the undeserved favor of God. Grace is free, sovereign favor to the undeserving. John Stott says, Grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. Grace is God reaching downward to people who are in rebellion against him. Grace is unconditional love toward a person who does not deserve it. And it goes on and on. Grace transforms our desires, motivations, and behavior. In fact, God's grace grounds and empowers everything in the Christian life. And I'll end with this one. The gospel is all about God's grace through Jesus Christ. That's why Paul calls it in Acts 20. Paul calls it 
the gospel of the grace of God. That's what some theologians have to say about grace. And, and as I was doing my study and reading my word, I love my Bible. I've been reading it for almost 40 years. Anybody with me on that? Love their Bible? Read their Bible? Um, I came across a passage in my reading, and I thought, man, this is practical grace. This passage describes grace lived out day by day in our homes, in our cars, as we work. And that's found in Colossians. And I want to uh, just read a little bit about in Colossians 3, chapter 3. Paul is talking, and he's talking about everyday life. Um, and uh, as I'm going to show you, what I, I really impress upon me, this is a life. He describes a life of what I call living grace. We heard what the theologian said about it. Now I want to talk about more of the practical part of, of grace. First of all, in, um, in Colossians 3, 5, Paul talks about, firstly, what grace is not. <laughs> and I want to share that with you quickly. This is what grace, living grace, is not. He says, therefore, consider, uh, Colossians 3, 5, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And in them you also once walked, in verse 7, when you were living in them. Verse 8, but now you also, listen, put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. This is grace. This is a picture of what grace is not. Um, it's a picture of what grace is not. Paul tells us to put these things aside. Those things, anger, malice, abusive speech, lying, uh, immorality, greed, idolatry. That is a dirty, filthy, ragged, smelly garment. <laughs> All those things. And God, uh, Paul tells us, take that garment off and throw it in the trash can. Take that off. Put that all aside. But then he moves on to the best part, what living grace truly is. In verse 10, he says, And have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. Okay, we're going to flip it over. Colossians 12. I'm going to take a quick... Uh, Colossians 12, and so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and loved, beloved, listen, listen carefully, put on, put on this robe, put on this beautiful robe, put on this robe, a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Verse 14, and beyond all these things, beyond all those good things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. 
that the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to the Father. That is the beautiful garment that he wants us to put on. That is practical living grace day to day. A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and beyond all that is love. If that's not a picture of living grace, I don't know what is. Um, that's what it speaks to me, living grace. Patience. I wanted to define patience. Patience is one of those things. Put on patience. I thought this was a neat definition. Patience. Patience which is tireless and long-suffering and has the power to endure whatever comes with good temper. Has the power to endure whatever comes with good temper. Think about what came your way this week. Were there, were there some uh, challenges, some struggles? Did you endure them with good temper? Paul wants us to put on that patience. I love that. I believe this description of how we ought to live and behave and relate to one another should be first and foremost carried out within the four walls of our own homes. That description of living grace should be carried out first and foremost within our homes, in our kitchens, in our bedrooms, in the garage, in the driveway, in the backyard, in the living room. We're to put on that beautiful garment for those people whom we live with, with whom we live, those people who are closest to us, those people with whom we are most real. They ought to see this beautiful garment of love and kindness and gentleness and compassion and forgiveness. That's where it's most important. And uh, Paul continues in Colossians, uh, in verse 18, he says, In the home, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they might not lose heart. He's talking about family relationships there as well. This living grace... I'm convinced, first and foremost, should be carried out with the people we're married to, with our children, with our mothers, with our fathers, with our mother-in-laws, <laughs> with our son-in-laws. This living grace should be first and foremost carried out with the people in our family. We're to put them on like a beautiful robe. You know what? When we put this beautiful robe of grace on, do you know what that does to us? That immediately makes us more good looking, I guarantee. It immediately makes us better looking. It immediately makes us more attractive to other people. People are going to want to be around us. People are going to want to be our friends. And I say, People are going to say good things behind your back. <laughs> if you have this robe of grace on, they're going to say good thing about behind our back. This is the practical side of grace. 
This is what I call real and everyday living grace. Now, I believe that about half of you really get this. Half of you in my audience say, yeah, Jody, tell me something I don't know. Half of you have no problem with this. You're already doing it. Who do you think I'm speaking to? Any guesses? The women, <laughs> especially the mothers. I think, and maybe I'm overgeneralizing, but I think women just have a natural tendency for grace. It just comes out of us a little easier. God created us to have a natural tendency to go toward grace in our relationships. Um, it's easier for us, especially with our families, our loved ones, our, and especially for our children. I say women get it. Now, I have proof of my theory here. I have proof right here that women get grace a little easier. I came across an article, Some Thoughts of Real Dads Concerning Family Life and Kids. Just listen to a couple of these thoughts by some famous people talking about family life and kids. And these are dads. Andy Richter says, I would say that the hardest thing about being a parent is these daggone kids. <laughs> Feel free to laugh. <laughs> Steve Martin says, a father carries pictures where his money used to be. I like that one. <laughs> Ray Romano, I love this one. Having children is like living in a frat house. Nobody sleeps, everything's broken, and there's a lot of throwing up. <laughs> and this is another favorite. Um, in the looks of disappointment department, get that? In the looks of disappointment department, my cat has picked up where my father left off. <laughs> All you cat lovers, you might relate to that. Robin Williams said, you don't need drugs when you have a baby. You're awake, you're paranoid, you smell bad. It's the same thing. <laughs> now, you know there's no women saying this about our kids. Uh, this is a favorite. As a kid, we see a McDonald's. We got so excited. We started chanting, McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's. And my dad pulled into the drive-thru and we started cheering. And then he ordered one black coffee for himself and kept driving. <laughs> my dad is cold-blooded. <laughs> now I know some of you men, you're saying, what's wrong with that? I know it, I know it. Rodney Dangerfield said, I remember the time I was kidnapped and they sent a piece of my finger to my father. He said he wanted more proof. <laughs> and uh, Mark Ruffalo, if you're not yelling at your kids, you aren't spending enough time with them. <laughs> and maybe I'll give you a last one here. Jerry Seinfeld, and we have a two and a half year old in our family, we can relate to this. A two year old is like having a blender, but you don't have the top for it. <laughs> so that's, that's a lack of grace on men's parts. They don't, they don't get the grace gene so much as we do. Um, I shared some theological descriptions of grace, some practical descriptions out of Colossians 3, putting on that beautiful robe of love, kindness, compassion, gentleness, humility, forgiveness. I want to share a personal example shown recently in my own family. Life is short, so grace must win. And I hope my family doesn't mind this too much. <laughs> it's about my husband, Tom, and my, my younger son, Jeffrey. I love them both dearly. They're both pretty nice. 
<laughs> a little background. My husband, Tom, is a type A personality. Do we have any type A's in here? Type A's, I'm going to describe you. You are ambitious, you're organized, you're driven, decisive, proactive, goal-oriented. You're concerned with time management. Anybody relate to that? That's my husband, Tom. He's a wonderful man. I love him dearly. Been married 37 years almost. Our son, Jeffrey, is more of a, what I call a type E personality. They say, E, what's E? E is easygoing, <laughs> relaxed, laid back. Tends to procrastinate a little bit. Not nobody ever accused him of being overly motivated. I hate to tell it, tell you, but he gets it from me. We had a little episode. Jeff worked as a lifeguard all summer. Did a great job. Delaware State Parks, Fenwick Island, Ocean Lifeguard. Of course, that ended. He's moving on to the next gig. He needs a resume. So my husband has written many resumes. He's a good resume writer. So I'll help you, Jeff. Clean up your resume. So they had a time, they're gonna sit and write the resume. And um, well, we, Jeffrey could not find his resume anywhere <laughs> in any of his computer files. Wasn't on my husband's, wasn't on my computer file. We had no resume <laughs> during resume writing time. And um, I watched my wonderful husband sitting at the table and I know him for 37 years. I could just see. <laughs> The type A was starting to come up, was starting to build up in him. I said, if you would have put a blood pressure cuff on him, it would have gone bing. <laughs> if you would have taken him outside on a cold night, you would have seen the steam coming out of his ears. He was ready to write this resume. Um, but didn't turn out. It turned out in a very interesting way. My husband very patiently, calmly sat with my son. They started from scratch. They got this resume going. It took a while and uh, it was completed. And later I witnessed this and it blessed me and I'll probably cry. My six foot four, 200 pound, good looking boy came to his father, wrapped his arms around him, kissed him on the cheek and said, thanks dad. I couldn't have done it without you. I needed your help. Grace won. Grace won in my home that day. There was no argument. <laughs> there was no meanness. Grace won. Life is short, so grace must win in our friendships as well as in our families. We must treat our friends in the same way of Colossians 3. Friendships are some of our greatest assets that we have in this life. They are God's greatest blessings to us. Grace must win in our friendships as well. I have a friend, Holly Hudson. She's the president of my fan club back there. <laughs> She's been my friend for 30 years. We are so different from each other, aren't we, Holly, in many ways? I'm tall. She's not so tall. I'm blonde. She's dark-headed. When she was a kid, her dad gave her a racehorse, and the name of that racehorse was On Time Gal. On-time gal. Holly has been on time for as long as I've known her, over 30 years. She has been on time. I'm on time when I'm only five minutes late. <laughs> I think I'm on time when I'm only five minutes late. 
Holly, our decorating is very different. Holly likes every color to match perfectly. She'll take samples and put them under the microscope. Now, does this pink match this pink? She's very careful about accessorizing and matching. Me, I'm like, I think that orange goes with that red, and that green goes with that purple. I think that looks great. We're very different in many ways, but uh, we love each other. We accept each other just as we are, and most times we laugh at our differences. I want to talk about another woman that we all know. She is a friend to most of us in this room. She is the embodiment of grace. Now, we love our Pastor Danny, but I believe that this church has thrived for almost 40 years because of the love and grace and care of Karen Tice. Yes, let's clap for Karen. Woo! Yes, Karen. Woo! Karen has put on that beautiful robe of grace. She, she treats all with love and gentleness and kindness and compassion. I know she does it in the walls of her own home, and we all know she does it in the walls of this church. She, um, she has put on that beautiful robe. Karen also lives out Colossians 4, 6, too. Listen to this. This is our sister Karen. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how, how you should respond to each person. That's Karen Tice as she ministers to all of us. She has been loving and serving this Gumborough Fellowship Church, which was what it was called 30 years ago. She has been loving and serving, and beyond that, she had been loving and serving this Gumborough Fellowship Church and Bayshore Community Church faithfully for almost 40 years. She has put on that robe of compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness. She is a great role model of Colossians 3. Uh, we talked about showing grace to our family, to our friends. Guess what? I think we need to show grace to strangers, to people we don't know. God calls us to show grace to strangers, too. I had an interesting encounter uh, last week. I was up visiting my daughter, uh, staying with them for a couple of days, and she and her husband Peter went out on a little outing, and I was going to take my little two-and-a-half-year-old daughter to the playground. Do we have a picture of our Luna? Picture of Luna? It'll pop up there. Um, she's two and a half. We were going to the playground in their development. And we went to the playground. It's really pretty. All that fancy equipment. I mean, big metal slides, curvy slides, uh, just really neat equipment. And as we approach this, the sign says it's like between two and ten-year-olds. When we got there, this playground was inhabited by teenagers. About six or seven teenage boys were hanging out on the playground equipment. And I walked out and thought, hmm, oh well, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I would really like to say something, but I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> so we went in, and Luna and I were playing, and the boys were on one side, and every once in a while, I'd hear some cussing come over. 
especially the big one was floating over my way. And you know what that is. <laughs> and I heard it often. And I was sort of ignoring them. Luna didn't have any idea what was going on. But their ball rolled to my foot. And they said, ma'am, could you throw us your, our ball back to, to us? I picked up that ball. I said, yeah, I can give you your ball back if you quit your cussing and throw in the you-know-what around, the F-bomb around, they went, ooh. <laughs> so I threw them their ball, and they were okay about it. Then and I continued to play. I heard some more cussing, and every time I did, they'd go, he said it, he said it. You know, I wasn't paying them much attention. He did it, he did it. I did say, well, I might have to get my bar of soap out sometime. They thought that was kind of funny. So I really wanted to speak to these kiddos because they were starting to bother me. <laughs> but I felt God check me. And you're going to laugh at this one. I still can't believe I did it. I have to say it was the Lord. I said, hey, boys, I bet I could take any one of you arm wrestling. And they, <laughs> they thought that was like, whoa, <laughs> this granny. <laughs> said, I bet I could take any one of you boys are wrestling. They thought that was hysterical. So they went over, there was a picnic table, and they started arm wrestling amongst themselves, having a big time, really. And I'm still playing with Luna. Finally, they say, hey, lady, come over and arm wrestle us. So they said, I said, well, okay, I work out. And of course, I pop my muscle out. <laughs> and so I sat down and I arm wrestled about four of these boys. And I wish I could say I won every time, but I didn't. <laughs> but I did beat a couple of them. And man, I tell you, they started talking to me about their interests, who they were. One wants to be an engineer. One built his own bicycle. They just, um, they started communicating with me. They started saying nice things about me. And guess what? I gave it right back to them. I said, right back at you. That's awesome. That's cool. You're smart. You're going to do good. And as we ended, instead of ending me yelling at them, we waved goodbye. One boy even gave me a squirt of hand sanitizer. <laughs> so I hand sanitizer. And it was a, a graceful experience. Grace to strangers. And I thank God for that. I'm coming to an end soon. You may be asking, well, how do I get this grace? How do I put it on and live it out daily among my family and friends and even strangers? And I'll tell you, I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to keep it real simple. There we go. First of all, I'm going to give you two answers. And these are my two answers to just about every problem in life. I hate to tell you, but I'm simple. Ask God in prayer to enlarge your heart of grace for others. Ask him to up, to increase your grace quotient with other people. Ask God in prayer. We can't do it on our own strength. I believe we can do so little on our own strength. But when we go to God in prayer and humbly say, Lord, I fall very short in the area of grace. I need more grace with so-and-so and so-and-so. Could you enlarge my heart of grace for others? And number two, and uh, again, it's simple. Commit to reading this word. Commit to reading this word. I came across a scripture, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. I found this and I was, I, blow, I was blown away. I got so excited. Tom, listen to the scripture. He's like, okay, Jody, okay. <laughs> listen to um, 
1 Thessalonians 2.13. I love this. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. This word performs its work. As we read this word, study this word, it is going to change us. It is going to make us more graceful. It is going to increase our grace quotient. I guarantee it. I believe it with my whole being. It is the word of God which performs its work in us who believe. In closing, life is short, according to Dr. Luke of the, of the Gospels and according to Kenny Chesney. He says life is short, so grace must win. Grace is so important to God. Do you know that 15 books of the New Testament end with a verse of exhortation and encouragement about grace? 15 books end the entire book with a verse of exhortation and encouragement about grace. It goes like grace be with you all or the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As I end, find my cooper. As I end, John 1.14 describes Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Through Jesus, for of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace in John 1, 6. For of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And finally, the gospel of the grace of God is the message everyone needs. The word of grace is proclaimed from every page of the Bible and ultimately revealed at Jesus Christ. The last verse of the Bible summarizes the message from Genesis to Revelation. Do you know what the last words of the Bible are? The most important concept God wanted to leave us with, his final word of the whole scripture, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Grace is so important to God, it, were, it was the last word he spoke to us. And I, I find that so exciting, so exciting. I'm gonna pray. And as I pray, our praise team is gonna come up and sing a final song. Thank you so much for listening. Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you so much for your goodness, grace, and mercy. Lord, I thank you for your living word that performs its work in us. And I've said this before from this stage, loving you and growing in you is not rocket science. It just takes some time crying out to you, communicating with you through prayer, and reading your living and holy word. 
that does its awesome work in us. Thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness to us. I pray for each and every one of us that you would increase our grace quotient and that it might begin in our homes with the people whom we are closest to. And then it would go to our families outside of our home and our friends and then on to strangers as well, Lord. Use us as instruments of grace to the world around us. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen.